So good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're all here. Um, I know that we have a lot of people on retreat actually thinking about the same stuff. This, as it turns out, we've been we've been studying uh, the seven points of mind training by uh, Yeshe uh, Dorje Chikawa, and he. Uh, or Chikawa Yeshi Dorje, you know, the last names and first names get turned around in other languages. Anyway, uh, and we're, uh, we've been talking about um, the book that Trangu Rinpoche um, wrote about it, and guess what? This last chapter is called Conclusion. So at the end of today, I promise we're all going to be completely enlightened. We're going to know just what to do, and we're going to feel good about it. So there you go. How's that? For those of you who don't know me, I'm Eric Weinberg. I'm a volunteer meditation instructor. And when Lama Kathy isn't around, um, either traveling, teaching, or um, doing something like the retreat, uh, one of us meditation instructors kind of takes the Sunday Dharma talk, and we're usually going through a book that the Practice and Study Committee agrees that we should practice and study. So, um, for those of you who have been here for the whole thing, I apologize ahead of time, but there, this particular um, approach was... Uh, from a lineage that actually found its root eventually in Malaysia. A, a great, great, great bodhisattva named Ser Lingpo was there. And some of the um, Indian Mahasiddhas, some of the great teachers of India, heard that Ser Lingpo in Malaysia had this teaching held this lineage, and they walked from northern India to Malaysia. If you can imagine that, you'll be shaking your head right now. If you can't, look it up on the map when you get home. It's amazing. So they walked all the way down there, and they figured out what he was saying, because I'm assuming the languages were different, but I don't know. And... Um, they got the teachings, practiced the teachings, absorbed the teachings, came back. One of these was Atisha. And Atisha was a great master from uh, Nalanda University, who then was invited to Tibet. Uh, Tibet had been exposed to Buddhism, I think, a couple hundred years before. And it flourished for a minute, and then it died out because there was... Whatever the opposite of political support was, that's what they got. Uh, they were persecuted and so on. So it almost died out. But then another king came along who was a pretty, he was a good guy and he was interested in uh, the happiness of his people and thought Buddhism held some promise. So he invited Atisha up. So then Atisha walks from, this is another map thing, from northern India where Nalanda University is, was, to Tibet uh, to give these teachings. And he gave these teachings in Tibet famously, and 
eventually uh, they became what was called Kadampa. You'll see that word in, if you read much about uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And the Kadampas developed into what now is the Galupa lineage, who's headed by the Dalai Lama. As it turns out, one of our main lineage holders, Gampopa, received these teachings from the Kadampa, actually from Matisha himself, I have been told, but I haven't checked dates and stuff, so I don't know. And um, he also received what we call the Mahamudra teachings from Milarepa, and he put them together. And what he put together is actually what we practice as lineage. So here's how it works. Mahamudra is very subtle and high and high and powerful view, um, which is directly seeing our own nature and the nature of reality and being liberated because we see it directly. This Lojong practice is actually like tools for the road while you're in between. Um, because just because you have ultimate reality pointed out to you doesn't mean we necessarily get it. Meanwhile, we need something to do. And so putting them both together gave us a lineage for a lifetime. In its purity, it is um, extraordinarily valuable. In the West these days, this is in the West these days, we get a lot of um, people who want to sort of modify it for the way we think and water things down. And pretty soon you get articles in Time Magazine with cover stories, which are good. I'm supportive of that, but they're pretty diluted compared to what this is. So if your goal, if your goal is to cope with crap, Mindfulness from Time Magazine probably going to work pretty good because it's still got enough of what really works in there that it'll help. If, on the other hand, you're really dedicated to uh, enlightenment and to the liberation of yourself and others, complete liberation for the benefit of all beings, then you're going to have to go with actually something undiluted and powerful. Um, these Lojong teachings actually are that. They're undiluted and powerful, and they fit in, they're mixed in with the other teachings of the lineage perfectly. And it's important to understand that, that this is not like, okay, this is a separate module. Like, sometimes we're learning English and sometimes we're learning math. It's not like that. This is like all of that fitting together. Um, it's important when we learn this practice that we continue to practice all the time. The beauty of the Lojong practice is, is there's kind of like an on-the-cushion practice that we do in order to um, establish our mental habit. And then there's the part of the Lojong that's called off-the-cushion that we do just as we go through life and experience what we experience, good or bad. So what the conclusion talks about is 
to first say this is really important and powerful, and second is do something on the cushion every day, and then the rest of your day find ways to put this together, to mix this together with your life. I was just talking with Bill about uh, different um, world attitudes, thinking about being in Canada over summer vacation. It seems like you go to the land of kindness when you're up there. Everybody is nice and happy to see you and helpful. And and then down here, you know, we've been experiencing our share of uh, self-inflicted wounds and troubles, and there seems to be more suffering. The thing about Lojong is is it, it explains that this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Not that we want to prolong it or anything. But humans have been creating their own suffering since there have been humans. This is the way our self-grasping and ego-clinging go. That's what the Buddha taught. The beauty of Lojong is, is that we wind up being able to powerfully transform the most negative, the most dark stuff into the nectar of liberation. That's almost like a direct quote from Lojong texts. So that's what we're all about. And it's worth um, reminding us all in, in concluding this book that it's good to go and read back over those slogans. There are 59 of them. And to read the commentary and understand how they can be applied to different situations. I don't know how many of you were here for my last talk, which was a week or two before last, uh, and I didn't have time to get through them all. That's because there are just, I think, 21 of them in that section. And actually, Trangu Rinpoche uh, mentions that. He says uh, there are so many of them because the intention is just to remind us in that last section of slogans that this is something you can practice in every situation you're in. So they try to break out like 21 different situations and say here and here and here and here and here. There's nowhere it doesn't apply. Um, there's nothing that can't bring benefit to ourselves or others. So here's what I want to do. Um, in Lojong practice, and you can find this on LamaKathy.net, by the way, there's a thing called Daily uh, Lojong Practice Guru Yoga Contemplation. If you're not settled on a daily practice for yourself, this is an excellent one. And if you do have a daily practice, this is a heck of a good preamble to whatever you are doing. Um, So the way it starts is with refuge and bodhicitta, which is essentially the four-line refuge prayer that we chant at the beginning of all these Dharma talks that we do. So what I would like to do is uh, chant with you the uh, refuge prayer, the four-line refuge prayer. If you know it, you can chant along with me. If you don't, uh, please follow along in your heart and mind. And think that you're taking refuge in the guru, the Buddha, the teacher who brought us these teachings of uh, the view, 
of how things are and the meditations and trainings that we can undertake in order to realize it for ourselves. Um, the Dharma, which is that view and those trainings, and the Sangha, which is comprised of two things. Um, there's the Sangha that's all of us and the way that we support each other as a community. It's extraordinarily important. In some ways, maybe, I don't know if I'm speaking out of school. Some ways, though, may be the most important thing of how we support each other um, with kindness and with effort, you know, to, to help uh, continue to have the Dharma be alive in this community. I mean, we're, on, we're, we're an all-volunteer community. It's remarkable how much we do with the number of people we have. Not that many people. It's remarkable, and everybody, everybody is needed. So when you think about that, you know you can aspire to do your your heartfelt work of generosity towards the Buddha and the Dharma through helping out here in big ways, little ways, in between ways, however you can. And then the other sangha is. You know, it's interesting. In Buddhism, there's this idea that's very complex, which is that in, from the ultimate view, there's no birth and no death, even though we all know we were born and will experience death. So there's ultimate and relative view. Because of the ultimate view, though, we know that there are these bodhisattvas that are in existence, always were, always will be and they're part of our community too so if you call on Chenrezy or Tara or the Buddha or Guru Rinpoche if you feel a connection you know it's amazing there is a certain quality of connection that happens and a certain <coughs> extra um, blessing that becomes available and it's simply my experience, and I can't speak with any authority, but if I'm, if I'm mindful enough in my day, and I remember that, and I'm not in a position to pick up the phone and call Jelaine or something like that, I can just imagine my guru above my head, or Tara, or Chenrezy, or Buddha, or Buddha as my teacher, whatever, and stop for a moment and receive their unconditional positive regard and blessing. It changes everything. It does. So, that's Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha too. If you know the words, great. If you don't, that's fine too. Just realize this whole environment of blessing that um, you're entering into as your refuge. Sanje chudang soki chognamla changchu pardu dagni kyapsuchi 
दागी जिनसो ई पे सोनाम की ट्रोला पेंशे संजे रुपाशो संजे चुरंग सो की चोगनाम ला चंचु पार्दु दाखनी ख्यात्सुचे ताकि जिनसोगी पे सोनाम की रोला पेंशिर संजे रुपाशो संजे चुरंग सो की चोगनाम ला जंचु पार्दु now just quiet your mind and rest it on your breath. Whatever arises, whether it's a thought, sensation, emotion, whatever it might be, just recognize it as arising in your mind. Touch it and let it go and return to your breath. Now just imagine either your root guru or Shakyamuni Buddha sitting on a lotus and moon seat above you. Radiant with a happy face and smiling. And seeing all beings with compassion. He's looking at you with smiling eyes, loving eyes. And you think, in him, all gurus are present. with intense respect and devotion that arises from this loving connection. You pray something like very worthy spiritual friend. I pray that you will cause loving-kindness and bodhicitta 
to arise in my mind. And you can repeat that a few times. My guru, very kind and worthy spiritual friend, I will pray that you cause loving kindness and bodhicitta to arise in my mind. Then imagine that he descends through the crown of your head and sits in your heart with a, in a pavilion of light. And this light first fills you up literally at the cellular level, every single cell in your body just glowing with light and then overflowing. and filling the whole world. And take a moment to just breathe in your world as it is. Let it be touched by light and transformed and breathe it back out. sharing this light with all and everything. You quietly dedicate the merit in such a way that you carry forward the Buddha in a pavilion of light throughout your day and touching everything you touch and receiving everything you receive. And this is the Lojong Guru Yoga. At the end, of course, make whatever your personal dedication of merit will be. And then you're good to go. <laughs> so that's a short version. It's really simple. You quiet your mind. You say a refuge prayer, however you do it. Quiet your mind. Recognize the presence of your guru or the Buddha, the precious teacher with you. Recognize the blessing that's everywhere because of that and draw it into yourself. Just get the feel of it, of living with that. Because what happens when we're not mindful is what we get the feeling of is that we're living with our own mishigas, with our own neurosis. 
with our own reactions to whatever it is that comes our way. If you recognize that actually all that stuff just covers over your true nature, which is Buddha, then you can start with whatever comes up to clear away anything that covers that or obscures it and you start having this direct experience of your own luminous, kind, compassionate nature interfacing with whatever it is you're in front of. Of course you'll reach points where your limitations are... um, are met and you realize that it's you know you know you can imagine this but it's no longer something that seems real to you and that 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 is when you apply the slogans that's where lojong fits in so the idea that you have the same nature of the buddha and that it's limitless luminous and um, clear is kind of like ultimate bodhicitta, which is the first thing. That's what comes from guru yoga. It's the first thing taught in the seven points of mind training. All the rest, all the slogans are about relative bodhicitta. So recognizing that we aren't enlightened beings yet, and we go out with this aspiration and intention, and the next thing you know, Somebody almost kills you in traffic during rush hour on the way to work and you freak out. Obviously, um, you get pretty shaken up. Your adrenaline's pumping. We've got hardwired reactivity in. And that's what mind training's for. That's what all those 59 slogans are for. They pretty much cover every kind of situation that we can get ourselves into. It's interesting to think that the first recording of them is over a thousand years ago. And the teaching goes back further than that. And we're still dealing with the same stuff. Modern problems are really the same as old problems. I mean, they've modified some, but talking about it as our reactivity to getting not getting what we want and having what we don't want and being apathetic or tuning out when we just can't handle life anymore, that's been going on for as long as human beings have been human beings. And Lojong is there to help us with that. If we use it, if we use Lojong, according to Tralag Rinpoche, we cannot fail to gain benefit. And the practice begins with us. Every single comment in every single slogan is that the practice begins with you. That includes with the practice stuff like Tonglen. You begin with yourself every time. Every time. And you extend out, extend out, extend out as much as you can. Make it fast. As our friend Ed Power says, vast is good. 
So, there's a joke in here, but I'm going to save it. Here's the quote, the actual concluding um, stanzas from, from the mind training text. This essential elixir of instruction, transforming the five kinds of degeneration into the path of awakening, is a transmission from Sir Lingpa. Having awakened the karmic energy of previous training, I was moved by great devotion. Therefore, ignoring suffering and criticism, I sought out instruction on how to subdue ego fixation. Now, when I die, I will have no regret. That is pithy. <laughs> Every single line. This is what the Buddha recommended, actually, that we train our minds. Because we're all ultimately going to experience this thing, this physical death. And that's the last place you want to regret anything. So that's his last line. It's interesting. Now when I die, I'll have no regret. It's pretty important because... The death of the body isn't an end to anything. It's pretty important that we're kind of using our time to cultivate the aspirations and the habits and the practices that are going to guide us onward when we don't have our senses, if you think about it. The way most of us live most of our lives, this applies unless any of you are Buddhas, and in that case... You know this, and don't worry about it. But for most of us, every single thing we know, think, do, feel, comes in one way or another through our five, six senses. It's what we see, what we smell, what we taste, what we hear. Tactile sensations and mental consciousness. We think all of that is who we are, and guess what? That dies. This is what the Buddha was saying. This is the teaching of the Buddha. He was also saying, but wait, there's more. You just can't see it yet because you're so obscured and distracted by these six senses. And you don't understand. You, there is some consciousness, some awareness some Buddha enlightened nature that way back in there is aware of all this going on. And that's who you really are. You're not that thing. It's not like I am angry. What a ridiculous thing to say. I mean, I am happy. Also kind of a ridiculous thing to say. You could say, ah, there's happiness there. That's a little bit closer, okay? So, there's this quote here that I'm going to just read because it's good. It's from a guy named John Norris, who's a good practitioner. He said, 
that the reason you can't see what's going on is that your attention is captivated by the external senses. And he's talking about the Buddha here. He said that if you will just sit calmly and look within, you can discover your own self-nature. And what you will discover is that this phenomenon called you only exists as a variable set of interdependent conditions. Take a few of those conditions and you fall apart like a house of cards. In other words, the appearance of an inherently solid you is an illusion that's spun up like a dust devil on karmic winds of unawareness. I thought that was very poetic. I liked it a lot. The point being is we have this just simple habit of misidentifying reality and calling it reality, and that makes it just kind of worse, more difficult to deal with. That's the ultimate view, ultimate bodhicitta. But we still have to drive to Fairth Israel on Sunday and drive home and do the laundry or whatever you're going to do. And so we're confronted with a life. You know, what do they say in Zen? Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Um, so some think this is like bad news, but Lojong says, no, it's not. It's the contrary of bad news. It's great news. It means that everything is workable, no matter what it is. Everything can be transformed to healing nectar and the path of enlightenment. Tranga Rinpoche says, you know, we're living in a time they call degenerate times an increase in the number of material objects. You know, frankly, no matter how poor any of us might be, or who the poorest person in Columbus is, in some sense or another, we live better materially than the King of England in 1890. It's true. And yet we still have... We don't have appreciation for that, and we want more material well-being, um, we seem to have more disturbing emotions. I mean, let's face it, I mean, not to pull any punches, but there are people buying incredibly powerful weapons that didn't exist in 1890, and lots of them, and for reasons no one still understands, you know, kills other people. So there's, you can easily say, yeah, we got more stuff. That's not helped. We, we've got more afflictive emotions. That's all happening. We find ourselves in the realms very easily of desire and jealousy and all of that. And in fact, our culture kind of encourages us to cultivate desire and jealousy so they can sell us more stuff. And that way, those people can make more money and they can try to satisfy their desire and jealousy. The Lojong practices are a way, if you quiet your mind at the beginning of the day and make the aspiration that you're going to practice Lojong, they're a way of being in the middle of all that. 
and saying, oh, there it is. There's my desire there. I want to chase after that, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And I realize, you know, that's not where I want to go. And I'm about to do it anyway. And if you can mindfully just take a pause and think to yourself instead, as the slogan recommends, may my desire contain the desires of all beings who are being lost right now in this insane state of want and desire. And may we all one day be free of it as you breathe out. Enjoy an enlightened view and benefit others. Wow. You can transform any moment like that. Any moment. And if it's persistent, you can be persistent. It's simple. It turns our normal process of believing everything we think on its head and using everything we think as a path to enlightenment instead. That's another bumper sticker around that says, um, you don't have to believe everything you think. That's a very good, good idea. You have to think what you think. Your brain is like an organ and its job is to create thoughts and so getting rid of them is probably a bad idea. If you ever have no thoughts, please call Lama Kathy quickly. Or somebody. Dr. Ann, somebody, somebody needs the help. You know, you may be turning into a cauliflower or worse. So the issue isn't having the thoughts. The issue is how we work with them to transform them. Um, so all these, all the negative thinking, and I don't know about you, but I've had uh, sour sorrow and grief in the last week. I, I was asked to lead uh, a prayer at the Interfaith Council of Churches thing at Trinity Church Wednesday night. I was shaking like a leaf. I wish I would be as would have been as calm as I am right now, but I wasn't. I wasn't over whatever it is that hit me, and I was like this. It's unusual for me, but I was. Guess what? I can easily hold on to that because, frankly, I want everybody to see me as being just the best. I want a pat on the head at the end of the day. I want, you know, that feeling of success and all that. But that's not lojong. If you're doing stuff you're doing in order to get a pat on the head... That's, that's kind of sad because it's likely you'll succeed, by the way. We're, we're all good at figuring out how to get the pat on the head that we want. But then that's it. And all you've done is put another, um, another brick in your ego, built that wall a little stronger. What's better than that is to recognize, I don't know how people reacted to whatever I had to say. You know, some people said some nice things to me, but you know, when you feel weird, you don't tend to believe them. And 
it's much better for me at least to come home and recognize that a lot of people trying to pray and lead people in prayer in these conditions feel just like that and wishing that my my nervousness and my sorrow um, or my I should say my nervousness because I was trying to do that while I was still in grief um, may that contain those feelings for all the people that are trying to put some good energy out into the world so that that can continue no matter what our inner conditions are much better response for me and because of the Lojong teachings and because I really do uh, make aspirations to practice them every day that kind of happened and I'm not saying that because I want your pat on the head either what I'm saying is this is something we can do is cultivate mental habits which is really what Sir Lingpa originally taught is what we call now neuroplasticity minds can be transformed and then he gave us 59 specific slogans to help do it with it's like really nice you can bake a cake here's a cookbook it'll turn out good follow the directions so the concluding remarks have something to do with that you know when he says that now when I die I'll have no regret that means the cake turned out good yummy we can all enjoy that you know in terms of how automatic it is that's where the joke comes in so this guy wakes up and he has a tremendous splitting headache and hangover and he's got a bump on his head and he comes stumbling down the stairs and there's a rose on the table and some fresh coffee for him and a fresh English muffin and his son is sitting there and he said, man what's all this? he said, oh that's for mom and she's out picking up some breakfast for us this never happens he says, why? and the son says well you came in stumbling drunk last night and mom tried to hug you and get you into bed and you said Get your hands off me. I'm a married man. <laughs> she couldn't have been happier. <laughs> Pretty good, right? Yeah. The, so the truth of it is, is that, you know, he had trained in being a married man mentally. And, and it came through even under the worst of conditions. This is true for all of us. And we, I'm not recommending getting experimenting with drunkenness but you know we're all going to get ourselves into a scrape here or there and if we're if if we're serious about this mind training it will come through for us and it'll be kind of like it's in the marrow of your bones that's just the way you'll be with whatever it is so um There's this thing that um, this will be the last thing I say. So there's this idea in these last stanzas that there is like 
a um, progression. The reason that ultimate bodhicitta is taught first is kind of like climbing the mountain. And when you get to the top, you see. And then once you're up there, you don't get to stay. you got to come back down the mountain. And relative bodhicitta is how you are once you've seen or at least caught a glimpse of the ultimate truth. And, you know, okay, and how will I transform this relative life that I'm re-entering into? There's a great, great Hindu... Well, he wasn't exactly Hindu. He was a Shaivite, Kashmir Shaivite master named uh, Nisargadatta. And he was asked once, um, what is realization what's beyond understanding? Which is what our aspiration is. And he, he said it goes in three stages. And I like this a lot. Imagine a dense forest full of tigers and you in a strong steel cage. Knowing that you are well protected by the cage, you watch the tigers fearlessly. This is kind of like rem- taking refuge. You know you're in a world of tigers and you need refuge. And by taking refuge, in a sense, you're taking ultimate protection. He says, though, next, you find the tigers in the cage and yourself roaming about the jungle. That's a little bit like getting down the path a little bit and like doing these practices. No matter what tiger approaches, you know you can tame it. You know you can work with it. It's workable. Okay? Then he says, last, the cage disappears and you ride the tigers. And that's ultimate freedom. That's the Buddha. And we all can do that. The issue is is that to have the concept of it, like I do, isn't doing the thing itself. The only way to be able to ride the tigers is to actually experience the path and, and get the good of that. And it turns out at the end, there's one more part that he left out from a Buddhist point of view. And it is that we can actually, I wrote this down, came to mind, and I wrote it down because I liked it. We can actually ride the tigers without getting lost and without falling off because the journey was the goal, and the goal was the journey all along. So this is, this is the conclusion of the Lojong uh, teachings or the seven points of mind training. And, you know, it was just meant to be encouragement to uh, really immerse yourself in them. I can't think of anything I've encountered in Buddhism um, that has been a better toolbox for me, so... I'm glad I I'm glad I got a chance to share some of that with you. We've got like 7 minutes for questions, comments on any subject whatsoever. Um if anybody has those
Good morning, Eric. Thank you so much for your teaching. Hi, Anne. Hi. Um, I almost never ask questions, but I thought this morning it would be well worth it. Um, is there a particular method or way that you recommend of becoming more um, intimate with these 59 slogans? Yeah, I do. That's a good question. Um, first of all, it's really good to do that guru yoga every day because that's baseline. And frankly, it's a couple minutes. If you've got time to brush your teeth, you've got time to do that. That's, it's true. There's no reason that we are not practicing that. Then there are two things that I would recommend if you're really interested. There's one is uh, available probably through Namse Bongzo, certainly through Amazon. There's like flashcards. Really? Okay. That have each of the slogans. I had, I don't know where my flashcards are now, but I got them when they were first published. And I had a little stand on my desk. And every day I just take one slogan. I really, really recommend that we go slow uh, because that way you can, it just gets in there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And so I would take one slogan a day and it would just be sitting there on my desk like that. And every once in a while I would read it. If my mind wanders, it's like a a mindfulness device. I'd recognize my mind wandering and I'd read the slogan. If I remembered the commentary, because some of the slogans are a little hard to... Yes. I mean, they're a little opaque, yes. actually. They're, you're supposed to know what they mean. So, there's some good commentaries. Um, one of the best ones, and I wish I could tell you the URL, but online, somebody at some point uh, compiled like six different commentaries for each slogan. Oh, okay. And it's like a matrix, okay? So if you want Trungpa Rinpoche's commentary, or if you want Pema Chodron's commentary, or if you Trungpa's commentary, and so on and so forth, there's about six. See if you can find that. If okay. not... I'll look for it. If not, there's um, there are a number of books that go through each slogan. And any one of them is helpful. I like Trollig Rinpoche's uh, book called Lojong and Mind Training because he's he was an enlightened master and he was also totally fluent in English. So there's very little lost in the translation. And sometimes some of this stuff we get a little lost in the translation. He also was very, very uh, interested in psychology. And um, he spent a lot of time trying to see how the Buddhist teachings fit and didn't fit with what we've learned through psychology. So that's all in there. Great. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Any other takers? Nobody wants to try to stump the chump? <laughs> well, if not, it's only it's about three minutes early, but let's take a moment and dedicate the merit of having uh, listened, contemplated, and aspired to practicing 
the Lojong teachings. Thank you.